Way back in 2005, two brothers set off on a road trip that would save the world and change television. Those beefy Hemsworth boys? Not the, no, not the Hemsworths. How many times do I have to say it? For 15 seasons and 327 episodes, Supernatural took audiences on a wild ride of family, fate, and faith with a rocking soundtrack and a seriously cool car. But that was then, Bobbo, and this is now. And yes, the show has quote-unquote ended, but we're not quite done with the journey. No, we're not. And that's why we're watching it all over again, or for Rob and me, for the first time, diving deep into every episode of Supernatural with the fine folks who made it. And we're taking you along for the ride. Whether you like it or not. I'm Rob Benedict. I played Chuck Shirley, a.k.a. God. Uh, spoiler! Yeah, it is a bit of a spoiler, but hey, spoilers are fair game here. I'm fine. And I'm Richard Spate Jr., and I played the Trickster, also known as the Archangel Gabriel, and I did a little bit of Loki work in there. Okay, you know what? We're running out of time. Okay, well, we'll be talking about the entire series, so whatever we say, accept it. You've been warned. So buckle up and settle in. Because this, my friend, is Supernatural, then and now. Hey, everybody, I'm Rob Benedict. And I, well, I go by the moniker of Richard Spate Jr. And that's our show, everybody. (laughs) Um, Listen, we're here. We did it. We made it. It's episode 22, season one, the season finale called Devil's Trap. A lot of people said we weren't going to last, Robbie. A lot of people said, well, those two won't survive. I heard the over-under was six episodes. (laughs) we, We made it to 22. Unbelievable. Um, all right. Well, let's, this is very exciting. It's the end of what I like to call the trilogy that ends the season. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> Here's a little trivia for you. I don't know if you know this. Do you know the episode title? Yeah, Devil's Trap. Right. But if, yeah. you, if you say it slower, it's Devil Strap. Oh, Devil Strap. Right. So it sounds like a, sounds like a, a really creepy toy. Or Devil's Trap. <laughs> Devil's Trap. <laughs> sounds like a, a, a bass player a, a, for Gawkin. <laughs> All right, let's jump right into it. The brothers are determined to find their father and seek out the help of an old family friend, Bobby Singer. Who also happens to be the co-showrunner of Supernatural. That's right. Well, Meg shows up. That's never good. No, not good. However, among Bobby's many books is The Key of Solomon, a book containing spells on how to trap a demon. They lure her into a trap. She taunts them by telling them that their, their father is dead. Ow! Dean gets pissed. And Bobby reminds them that there's an innocent person in there. She's just possessed. So the fellows perform an exorcism. The demon is expelled. As the innocent girl lays dying, she tells them to be careful. The demons are using their father as bait. Is this the end of her? Is this the end of Meg? I don't know. I don't know. I don't, Dude, I haven't yeah. seen the show. I don't yeah, know. All I can tell you is that she did a great job. I just Nikki Acock. So good. Yeah. yeah. Well, Sam and Dean head to an apartment building based on a clue that the dying girl gave them, that Meg gave them. There they encounter demons guarding dad. In the escape, Dean uses the gun to kill a demon that was giving Sam a beatdown. A good old-fashioned beatdown. Yes. And we forgot to mention that they had to do this posing as firemen. That was uh, how they got into that building. But we'll come more on that later. Back at the cabin, John asks Dean for the gun, but Dean is concerned the dad isn't pissed at him for using the bullet. Dean puts together the dad is possessed by the demon. It's not dad at all. It's the demon. Oh, no. Yeah. The demon throws the boys against the wall as dads, right? So it's dad with yellow eyes. Throws them against the wall. Sam demands to know why he killed their mother and Jess, his girlfriend Jess. We find out that the demon felt that they were in the way of his plans for Sam and other people like him. Now, obviously, at first, the boys just thought dad has cirrhosis of the liver and Mm -hmm. is suffering from jaundice, so his Mm -hmm. eyes have gone yellow, so nothing to fear. But that's not the case. It ended up being a sign that there was a super demon inside of dad. (laughs) Right, right. That's right. Uh, And uh, so Sam is able to get the gun and shoots the possessed John in the leg. Ow! John is able to briefly get control of his body and begs Sam to shoot him, killing both the demon and dad. Sam can't do that. He can't. He just can't. And the demon escapes through uh, a vomit, the black vomit towards the ceiling. It's not black vomit. Come on. Yeah. On the way to the hospital, they discuss what to do next. They get T-boned by a large semi-truck, leaving the Winchesters injured and the Impala destroyed. Oh, that's the end of the... No more episodes. That's it. No more seasons. To be continued. Will it get picked up? Are we going to see a season two? A lot of people didn't believe. Yeah. But we did it. Mm -hmm. Great episode of television. Mm -hmm. Just really exciting. Yeah. I'm going to tell you something that I must have missed. Okay. So this is going to be the... What did I miss segment of the program? Okay. Okay. But Jim Beaver, the actor Jim Beaver, Uh who plays Bobby Uh Singer, has this line early on where he says... 
Next time I see you, I won't put a shotgun in your face. When did he put a shotgun in their face? He says that to who? Sam and Dean. He literally says, they go, last time I saw you, I was aiming a shotgun at you. And I saw that. I'm like, oh, I must have missed. It was trippy. I just kind of felt like hmm. in watching it, I thought I'd missed something. Well, what's I really trippy is I completely missed that line. But uh, in your, yeah, I think we're, in we're your stupid, to- dumb notes, you didn't make a note about it? No, but speaking of my notes, now that you, you're dying to hear them. So here's, here's something that Sam, when they're, when they're disguised as, uh, as firemen, in order to get the fire brigade there, he had to uh, pull the fire alarm, much like he did in the train when you and he took a train through Europe. Oh, my gosh. That's so similar. Yeah. The difference is he didn't punch it uh, with his fist and cut right. himself open in the process. Right. And he didn't stop all the trains from Europe. This is a, a story for another day, but there's a story that includes Rich and Jared. And Jen tra- Padalecki. And Jen Padalecki on a train where they pulled the uh, fire alarm in order to get the train to stop because Jen left her bag. Yeah, exactly. Good story. This is foreshadowing. Yeah. What else, Rich? What else about this episode? I mean, it's what a, what a great finale. It's a great episode. If I'm going to point out the one maybe eh, moment is when Jensen makes some bit of like, I got to get my schnauzer out of the apartment so that a fireman kind of, you know, herds him away. Cut to Jared with a bobby pin going to unlock the fire engine. Cut to they're in full fireman yeah. regalia. Yeah, like, totally, like totally. okay, that's a big, big yeah. leap in time. Yeah, and for sure. You got a bunch of looky-loos because they're fire alarm and police and 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 activity and firemen and and passersby and somehow they're man- they managed to abscond with two complete complete including air tanks oxygen tanks uh, <laughs> yeah. f- firemen outfits yeah yeah for sure no that's uh, but you know you, when you watch a show like this you just forgive it of that it's like watching honestly this show reminds me of a superhero show sometimes so like you know what I mean it's just like how oh, yeah. How sure. does Spider-Man get the, the outfit on so quickly? It just because he's just Spider-Man. Yeah. But uh, yeah, look, again, I love seeing Jeffrey Dean Morgan and the, the writing of the show is so good. It's written by Eric Kripke this episode. And I always thought his his episodes are so good. Oh, yeah. It leaves you completely. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, there are two showdowns, one with Meg and one with the yellow-eyed demon. Old um, yellow eyes. Old yellow eyes. <laughs> Frank Sinatra's creepy cousin, old yellow eyes. Yellow eyes. <laughs> Sam gets a beat down and he's got a black eye for the whole last part. You really like saying Sam gets a beat down. I never have said that before. You just said it earlier. You're all Sam gets a beat down here and Sam gets a beat down there. I never, I never. You know, I'm not talking about rhythm. <laughs> Sam gets a beat down. Sam gets a beat down. Sam gets a beat down. Um, and then, uh, of course, we have the introduction of Bobby Singer. I mean, it's already an instant classic. Instant classic. And then, I don't know if you don't remember, Richard, but in episode nine of our podcast, talking about episode nine of the show, this is the final confrontation with Jeffrey D. Morgan as the yellow-eyed demon. This is the scene Ivan mentioned oh. that they had to shoot in parts because they didn't have Jeff to shoot on that day. So if I'm not mistaken, that was shot in two parts. Well, are we going to hear that story? Let's hear that story. Okay. Uh, you know, the, the end season, the, the, the season finale, when dad showed up and Sam and Dean came and dad had the fight with the yellow eyed demon and all of that stuff. That was a big one because, well, Jeffrey Dean Morgan wasn't going to be available for when we needed to shoot him. Uh And we found that out two episodes, three episodes in advance of shooting that episode that, oh, hey, by the way, you have, we have to figure out how to shoot the finale without Jeffrey Dean Morgan physically being there, which means we need to shoot him three months in advance. So, oh, and here, and here's the outline. And uh, it was, it was, it was actually, it was one of those things where, you know, Eric and them said to me, well, what, we know he's not there. What, what, how, how, what are we going to do? They called us off. I thought I was in trouble actually, because we're getting towards the end of the season. It's those things where you've done your in-house facility and the budgets are coming in. And I thought I was in trouble. (laughs) They need to see you upstairs. And everyone was there and Eric was on the phone and I'm sitting there by myself with like sweaty palms. Like, this is it. Never going to work in film again. I gotta, I gotta, gotta be a used car salesman. They found my hidden folder. I have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I'm like, this is it. I'm done. And they tell me that 
they're like, well, what are we going to do? How do we do this? Now, I don't know, like, I don't know why Jeffrey was not available. You know, usually in, and Rich, Rob, you guys know this, that like actors are earmarked for when they're coming stuff. Uh, as a producer, I've learned that oftentimes when one of the people that like, you never want to stand in the way of someone's career. You want to help someone and enable them. And in hindsight, perhaps that's what that meeting was, was like, hey, Ivan, is there a way that we can let Jeffrey Dean go do this amazing role that he wants to do? He's he's going to lose it for two days worth of work. He's going to miss out on a six month job. Do you know what I mean? How, how is there anything we can do? to? I, 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 in hindsight, that's what I think. Probably they were trying to enable him to do other things, but I don't really know. Right. So I just sort of said, oh, OK. Uh, and they didn't have scripts yet. They, you know, we were we were probably around episode nine, maybe episode eight. Uh, they just had outlines, and they when I said, "Okay, well, give me the outlines and 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 give me an hour." Now, like, we need to know today. What are we going to do? And I'm like, <laughs> "Okay, give me an hour." And I, and I and I went down and I read the outlines, and it gave the parameters of what they wanted. They wanted there to be dad to have a conflict with um with the yellow eyed demon. And I knew physically I wasn't going to be able to shoot elements. We didn't at the time. There was no way we could do, you know, CG head replacements and stuff like that. It just wasn't in the computational power and the TV schedule and all that didn't exist. Uh, and I sat down for an hour and, you know, knowing the arc so far, the flavor of the show and those sorts of things, I just drew out a, a storyboard for the end of the film of, of a rough storyboard of, that incorporated all of those elements uh, and I said, I can't physically have them fight. But what I can do is have Jeffrey Dean Morgan grab and fight something that's not there. And we had already gotten the smoke demons and stuff like that. So we had them grab them and fight them and wrestle. And and uh, I sent the story where I said, look, we get back upstairs. I sort of said, hey, what if we do something like this? sent the the storyboard down to Eric and and the folks and then they wrote this amazing ending that 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 incorporated those those elements into it and then upped it even more with the bullet the gun and the colt and and all of that stuff and uh it was it, it was it was a crazy huge it was the it yeah it was it was it was insane <laughs> <laughs> it was a say. So when it comes to lore, uh, you know what you know when you need to know it. And, yeah, right. and as a visual effects person, my job, at least I believe it to be this way. My job is to learn the flavor of the show and to be able to perpetuate. And then you rob from the lore, which is exactly what I did there. I'm like, how's he going to fight the yellow eyed demon? Initially in the script, it was a fight, right? And right. initially in the script, there was this big thing and, you know, you're going to figure out, okay, Sam is going to have a fight with the yellow eyed demon, but we don't know what he's going to look like. And then we're going to shoot his stuff months in advance, but we haven't choreographed the fight. We haven't choreographed the stuff. We're going to put blood here. We're going to cut. He's got to be beaten up. And then now we're going to tell the stunt guy, you have to reverse engineer a fight to this makeup because you know, it was wow. absolutely wow. insane right um wow. but like eric like the creativity that they have to take my crudely drawn storyboard and go this is here's the spirit of what we can do and then obviously kim manners uh, uh you know may he rest in peace being able to direct this story and get the performances out of them and come up with the camera angles as he did. And yeah, we shot uh, the whole season finale three months in advance on a, on a blue screen. Really? We didn't know wow. what the sets were going to be. We didn't have scripts. We didn't, <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, I, I have never heard this story. I, I dare say nobody has heard this story. That's a fantastic story. Yeah. So there you go. I guess wow. I wasn't wrong. That's awesome. That's really cool. It's amazing because yeah. you would never know that watching that sequence that anything was out of the ordinary. Yeah. And then you follow that up with a, just a phenomenal season-ending car wreck between oh a semi God. and the Impala that's just shocking, comes out of yeah. nowhere, so yeah. well done from an execution standpoint and from a surprise standpoint and yeah. from a cliffhanger standpoint. Yeah. And that story has a crazy angle to it. Yeah. In fact, let's, let's go there right now. This is when uh, Kevin Parks, the first AD, told us about how that uh, accident was actually a happy accident. Well, the whole idea of the car and the truck, they were, semi-truck comes down, T-bones the uh, Impala, and the Impala is supposed to basically uh, get blasted in the air by a, a hydraulic cylinder in the middle of the car. To make sure the car and semi were going to hit at the same time, they were on a cable rig. So they were, they were, they were always going to hit regardless. And then as the car and, uh, and semi uh, impact, the hydraulic 
hammer or the cylinder goes off, but the car gets caught under the bumper of the semi. So instead of the car being separated and blowing up and, and flying in the air, they both get latched into latched in together and they basically come across the field where they were. And we basically uh, had all the cameras. We had three cameras all placed in here to do this. And my wife was out here again to this point in time as well. She was actually one of the closer cameras. And we were all safetyed off with people there to make sure anything was going to happen because these vehicles were not supposed to come toward us. So. Oh. So uh, we have one camera on a crane, one camera off the side, and then Jill's sitting down, basically, just basically the, the car and truck are coming toward her. And she feels wow. that she, there's a grip behind her ready to yank her out at any moment because they're getting closer and closer and closer. And Jill's very confident. She knows that the, whoever's there is going to, to pull her out. She won't be in any kind of danger. But, you know, she goes, this is getting closer and closer. And then the, there's also a, a thing called another camera that's in a crash box over top of it that was not it was it was kind of the idea where the car might land so that's why we push everything there when the car goes off that we think the you know the car will go fly that way so the truck the tractor trailer and the car go over the over the crash box damage that camera and eventually comes to a stop above probably 40 feet from where jill is and jill kind of looks up she's only been looking through the camera the whole time because this is still on film so it didn't have video monitors to watch you had to watch the eyepiece uh and it basically is like she looks at going oh well that's close (laughs) <laughs> um, but it's like, we weren't, we weren't, we, we were supposed to, you know, the, when the car was supposed to come kind of get launched off, it was supposed to pivot over a bunch of vegetation. We weren't supposed to, to damage anything. And they also, they wanted to protect the ditch. So we put some you know wood over top of a ditch. It was never meant to carry the weight of a tractor trailer. And, and basically, you know, it made, it made that final shot a lot more, I think, in my opinion, a lot more impactful opposed to just see the, the driver of the trailer somewhere else. It's right with the car. Right. So we find out later he's a demon as well. So he gets out, you know. Let me ask right. you this, Kevin. Did you, if the Impala was supposed to flip and go somewhere forward, what was the semi supposed to do? What was going to happen to it? That truck would have just continued it straight on the road. Gotcha. There was a driver in it. So in fact, the cables would release and the truck would be free to go on the road and stop. Well, this was obviously the, the, the way to go because I it it frightened me, man. I, literally, I was like, oh, like it really it felt violent. It shot well. And the fact that any of them are actually alive after that is amazing. But I mean, it is supernatural, you know. So wait, so <laughs> there, there are people in the cars? No, no, there, there's dummies in the car. Oh, you're right. You're right. So you're saying. And we shoot them yeah. later uh, on the stage. But it's like the fact that they, yeah. they survive anywhere. But Yeah, yeah, true. Well, yeah, what a great way to end the season. Another little trivia note on that one is when we went back to do the, the season opener for season two, we had we pick up pretty much right after where that truck is supposed to be. We couldn't go back in that field. We had to rebuild it across uh, Kitty Corner from there on, into another little field that it looked similar. Why? Wow. Couldn't you go back? Uh, it was this was in June, July. It, they didn't want us in that part of the field because it's also basis for environmental reasons. Gotcha, gotcha. Basically, where the roadhouse was, where we rebuilt that. That was our first time we put uh, something in that area. So that's that, that was where we started season two. That's uh, awesome. That's so cool. That's a great story. Yeah. If you go to Boundary Bay, you can see where the uh, where the hydraulic cylinder was supposed was actually did make impact with the uh, pavement because there's a big circular dent in the road. Oh wow! There you go, kids. Something to uh, add yeah. to your uh, scavenger hunt. Yeah. Par- Parksopedia with the facts. There it is. You've been parked. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. That was awesome. <laughs> Just hold that thought. We're coming right back. Thanks for listening, everybody. And now back to the episode. All right. So, uh, yeah, lots of stuff going on here. Lots of moving parts here, brother. Well, and, and, and they, they, they answer a lot of questions. I mean, they and, and they, they don't answer some questions. They keep us hanging. Yeah. But as a viewer, I'm like, all right, are they going to come back to, like, you know, why why the yellow-eyed demon is after the, after the burning the moms on the ceiling? Are they going to yeah. come back to, to Jared's, Sam's? telekinesis and they do touch on all those things so that was gratifying yeah i thought the episode was great i mean again it continues the power trio of sam dean and dad yeah you know which is just super entertaining and interesting it, yeah. you finally get a glimpse of this yellow-eyed demon which is a terrifying nemesis yeah you know yeah and he's not gone so yeah so finale well done uh, golf claps everywhere and i give this one another jason man's full beard yeah in spite of the uh fireman outfit snafu um, yeah. i'm gonna go full jason man's beard as well because the other everything else is so great and everything else works so well i literally took a picture of myself that uh i'll post this was uh my look when that car uh got hit at the end that's uh 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. You did take a picture using your feet? How'd you take a picture of yourself like that? Um, I got <laughs> I can I can do this thing where I put my feet at my feet. That looks like feet? Very small feet. No, actually that's my feet. No, I'm saying how did you take the photo? Oh, yeah, my I had it on my knees between my two knees. I thought you were saying that looked like my feet. Yeah, it was between my two knees. <laughs> I'm showing a picture dog. right now of myself uh, with my two fists at my face. The bridge thought were my feet. but And I'm showing it, a picture of myself with my new manscaping. <laughs> anyway, so much stuff to get into. Uh, best of all, we've got a great guest star for you today. Uh, this gentleman played Bobby Singer in 69, maybe 70 episodes of Supernatural. Yeah, you know, he also appeared in other TV shows. Like The Boys, which is also created by Eric Kripke, by the way. Timeless, also created by Eric Kripke. Somebody's uh, in Kripke's uh, camp. Yeah. Uh, NCIS New Orleans, Justified, Breaking Bad, CSI, and the legendary HBO Western Deadwood. And that's not even close to being this man's resume. He's done a ton of stuff. That's right. And recent films include Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley and the upcoming Kindling. Please welcome our friend and legendary actor, Jim Beaver. Jim, thank you for joining us and talking to us about the last episode of season one. Am I in that? You're in that. Yeah, you're in that. It's your first episode, the first time we get to see Bobby Singer. And as someone who's watching the show for the first time, I was delighted to see uh, your face pop up. And I was like, this is this is Jim. This is when Jim comes in. So you just watch this for the first time? Yeah, yeah. You're great in it. Oh, well, <laughs> I don't hear that that often. Well, thank you. Well, before we get into the supernatural origin story, uh, tell us a little bit about your early career in theater. Jeez. Okay. Well, I the short version is I started doing theater in college after I got out of the service. My first play, I decided uh, this is what I'm doing the rest of my life. And then I did, I think I did about 100 plays before anybody ever paid me anything. <laughs> That's how you know you love it, right? When you're doing it for free? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That I, I started doing theater and uh, I went back to my hometown of Dallas after college and uh, did a lot of local theater there. Worked a few seasons with the Dallas Shakespeare Festival. Then I moved to New York and spent about three years there, working a lot, but always on the road. Then I came out to L.A. in 83 or so and did a lot of theater out, out here. And at one point, I finally started getting my foot in the door for uh, film and television. That's the extremely short version. Right, right. Yeah, well, just you're, it's a, such a great uh, origin story, I think, that you came from the theater, you worked your way up, you knew at an early age that this is what you wanted to do, and that's a beautiful thing. Oh, fairly, fairly early age. I wasn't one of those kids who um, did all the plays in high school, but actually I broke in. My big break didn't come acting in theater, came writing in theater. I had some plays that were um, produced at uh, Actors Theater of Louisville, and oh, awesome. had a very successful play done in L.A. in the mid-'80s. And that is what really got my foot in the door. Wow. I started writing television after that, but I didn't really want to write television. I just wanted to act. And eventually, one thing faded away and the other things started up. What, what TV shows did you write for? Or what, yeah. were you, what were you writing? Well, you know, it was an interesting time, the mid-late 80s, because they were just starting to deal in films and television with the Vietnam War, which had been over for, you know, 12, 13 years. But they were just starting to uh, see it as a first ground for drama. Yeah. And so I happened to be at the right place at the right time. And I got, uh, I wrote for an HBO show called Vietnam War Story. I wrote for a CBS series called Tour of Duty. And um, it, it seemed like every time somebody was doing something about Vietnam, they would, they would look up the, I don't know, three or four writers in Hollywood who had been there. Right. Yeah. It was probably more than that, but I only ran into three or four of them. And we seemed to all get the same phone calls. And so it was, uh, well, I, I, I've always said that going to Vietnam was a great career move for me. <laughs> and then just as that phase of my work was kind of fading out due to changes in the way television was produced and written, they were getting rid of freelance uh, writers. It was almost all staff stuff. And I didn't want to do staff stuff because I wanted to act too. So I started not getting TV work because nobody was getting freelance work. Right. But right around then, uh, Norman Jewison was casting a movie about Vietnam vets called In Country. I got called in by a stroke of luck, landed a part, and ended up being the only actual Vietnam vet in a whole principal cast of people playing Vietnam vets. Wow. So that broke pretty well for me. Right. Well, 
it was, I don't know, I might have had a line in something before that, but this was a co-starring part as Bruce Willis's best friend. So it was a big, big leap for me. Wow. And again, it was, it was the Vietnam thing that did it. Well, then what didn't just take us forward now to Supernatural? How do you get involved in the show we are discussing? Well, that's a weird question because it's not, the question's not weird. The, the answer is weird because I have one story and Bob Singer has another story. My story is that I got a call from my agents to come audition for this show, Supernatural. And I did. And the uh, casting director, Robert Ulrich, was an old friend of mine. He had, uh, in, had, in fact, been partnered with my late wife, Cecily, at one time. So I came in and I read, I read the sides for Devil's Trap. I didn't know anything about the show other than it was two hunky guys chasing demons and that it was completely outside my particular area of interest, that I was absolutely not the demographic for this show. So I hadn't paid any attention to it. It was just, a, it was just another audition. I went in. I remember going into Warner Brothers. I remember reading for it. And then that night or the next day, Robert Ulrich called up. It's one of the advantages of being friends with the casting director. They call you straight and don't bother with the middleman. Yeah. He called up and he said, well, we were shipping. This is back in the old days when it was all on videotape. He said, we were shipping the packet up to Vancouver for Bob to look at the auditions today. I called him to tell him it was on its way. And he said, who did you see? And I mentioned that I saw you for the part. And he said, oh, well, forget the tapes. Just give it to Jim. <laughs> That's what Robert told me. Now, if you ask Bob Singer, he will say they were sitting around the office trying to figure out what to do about the fact that Loretta couldn't come in to play Missouri, which was what this part was. Uh... Loretta wasn't available. And so they said, well, let's do a character that has the same function, but is completely different from her. And according to Bob Singer, he said, oh, I got just the guy for that. And they put out the call to cast me. Now, somewhere in there, the truth lies. <laughs> I know that I read for it, but I also know that I was told that nobody ever saw the audition because Bob just cut through it all. And right. Interesting. So did, how did you know Bob before? So did you Had you worked with him? I had done a series about 10, no, more than that, about 14 years earlier. I had done a guest shot on a show called Midnight Caller that he was producing. Mm -hmm. And that was in the spring. And then the following fall, I got a call that he had liked me on Midnight Caller and that he and the writer John Shulian had created a character that they wanted me to play on Bob's new show, Reasonable Doubts. So uh, I came in to do that. I was essentially Mark Harmon's partner on that Cops and Lawyers show. And I did that for a couple of years. And so that's how I knew Bob. But that was probably 92 that we finished that. And I never heard from Bob again. And all of a sudden, it's 2006 and Supernatural shows up in my uh, wow. viewfinder. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it took him 14 years to get up the nerve to use me again. <laughs> and then when you did this one episode at the end of season one, did you know that you'd be coming back after this? No, I had no idea I'd be coming back. I remember the crew, you know, a great crew. You, you guys know it's uh, largely the same back in 2006 as it was in 2015 and great people. And I remember how cordial they were to me, but I also remember how many people said, hey, you might be back. We didn't kill you. <laughs> right. And of course, that was season one of Supernatural. We didn't realize that even getting killed didn't stop you from coming back. True. But you know how it is. Sure. You, people say, oh, maybe you'll be back. And then, you know, 72 years later. Right. <laughs> yeah. That plus $5 gets you a cup of coffee. Here's a question for you. You know Bob Singer. You worked with Bob Singer several times. You go in for a show that Bob Singer is executive producing and co-show running, and the character's named Bob Singer. At any point, did you go, wow, Bob Singer's really trying to you know, secure his legacy in TV here? Or, you know, did that strike you? As my recollection has it, the character in the script was just called Bobby. He didn't have a last name. Ah. But, and this is, again, my grasp of how things worked out. Nobody's ever told me I'm wrong. Nobody's ever told me I'm right. But the guys in the art department, just for a joke, put up a sign outside Bobby's house in the junkyard that said Singer Salvage. Uh, and whether they realized 
that the character's name was Bobby uh, or whether it was just a coincidence, just a little in joke. My understanding is that once they established both me as Bobby and the fact that I ran a wrecking yard called Singer Salvage or whatever it was, yeah, that they were stuck with Bob Singer. Wow, that's funny. And of course, Bob has always made it very vocal that he didn't like the idea. You know, all of his all of his friends are saying the same thing that was said in the French mistake. You know, what kind of douchebag names a character after himself? <laughs> and uh my gut feeling is that Bob Singer would have loved to have had Bobby called something else. Right. Huh. Inter- interesting. That's hilarious. It was probably episode two or my second or third episode, probably before the script said Bobby Singer. Wow. I think. So you, uh, you, you've been friends with Bob. You come in to the situation where you have these, the scene with Jensen and Jared, Sam and Dean, and, and you're going to forge what will become a sort of father-son relationship with them on screen. But what was that first episode like? Did you, you're both from, you spent much of your youth in Texas. They're from Texas. Did you bond over that? Was there immediate chemistry between you all? It was like 15 years that we never bonded. <laughs> wow, that's intense. You're still waiting for that. Yeah, I'm still, you know, I leave little notes at their house and <laughs> nothing. Don't we all? You know, once again, I had worked with Jensen before. Okay. Jensen and I were both on Days of Our Lives, but I didn't know it. If you've ever done a guest shot on a soap opera, you know that the chances of your interacting on a personal level with the regular cast are fairly slim. Mm. And I had I had scenes with Jensen. I mean, I was the local priest. So every time somebody died, I did the funeral. Every time somebody was about to die, I did the last rites. And every time somebody got married or had a baby, I was at the church. And people have unearthed these, I'm assuming. They're, you can see these clips somewhere. I posted something myself on YouTube. Oh, amazing. The first time Jensen and I ever worked together. But he doesn't even look at me. You know, it's, <laughs> right. I don't remember ever speaking to him. I just knew right. who he was. Right. When Supernatural came around, I knew, oh, that's the guy who played the kid on Days of Our Lives. Right, right. And he was like 11 or something. And I was 14. <laughs> um, and it was 1896. People didn't know people. A lot of people don't know you guys were only three years apart. That's that's uh, interesting <laughs> trivia. Even Jensen doesn't know we're only three years apart. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then Jared, did you uh, right away? I had never heard of Jared before. I, did, I knew nothing about him. Still haven't. <laughs> Not much. No, they were both very welcoming. Everybody was. Yeah. I'm trying to remember who directed my first episode, whether it was Kim Manners. It's Kim Manners. Yeah, yeah. Now, I had worked with Kim before. I had done an X-Files with him. I liked him a lot, and uh, he seemed to get along with me pretty well. He called me the pro. I'm not sure why, (laughs) other than the fact that when we were called to set, I showed up. There you go, (laughs) right there. That's all it takes. You know, and... (laughs) In the, in the land of the blind, the man with one eye is king. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't take much. <laughs> in, in a sense, I knew a number of people connected with the show, but I didn't, I didn't really know that Bob Singer wasn't there when I was shooting Devil's Trap. So I didn't even get a chance to really connect there. And as I say, I'd worked with Jensen, but without real contact. And I had worked with Kim, but just on the basis of a few days on an X-Files. It's not like I had close relationships with anybody. But those came, those came. I, I was kind of steer us back to the story a little bit of the actual episode. So you're playing this character who's, you know, as, as Rob pointed out, sort of a, becomes a paternal figure. But even, honestly, there's a paternal vibe right right out of the gate as soon as you guys meet each other. Because you you know more, you've seen more, yeah. you know. It was in the script that I was a friend of their dad's. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, as the show progressed over the years, the backstory became a little more personal. Mm. In the first one, I always felt like there was a sense that they didn't really know Bobby very well. He was just a friend of their dad's. Right. But of course, by the time a couple of seasons had rolled around, Bobby was their real surrogate father who had been there when their dad hadn't been. And uh, the relationship had kind of um, retroactively deepened. Uh But right there at the beginning, the way I played it, the way I read it in the script was he was a friend of their father's that they didn't know very well, but he was perfectly willing to help them out. But, you know, by this point in my life, I had really kind of come to make a career out of trademark gruff but lovable characters. And Bobby just seemed to fit right into that mold. Right. There wasn't anything 
enormously unusual about playing the character at the beginning, other than we were, this was one of the few genre type supernatural science fiction-y kind of shows I had done. Right. The dialogue was a new stuff, demons and exorcisms and all sure. that stuff. Did you know any, any of the stuff that you guys were talking about? Like you, you spent some time in Christian schools in high school and college. Did you, had you ever heard of the key of Solomon, for example? I don't know what I'm talking about now. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, some of it, I guess. Yeah. Because I'm pretty widely read. Right. The, uh, the lore, the demonology and all that stuff was at best peripherally familiar. Right. And of course, the interesting thing is I came to the show at the end of the first season and I hadn't watched it. Right. So even into season two and to my shame, as early as the early parts of season three, I hadn't watched the show. And so in early season three, there's an episode where Sam and Dean and Bobby are in some house and we're spreading salt all over the windows and the doors. And at one point between shots, I turned to Jared and I said, why are we doing this? (laughs) (laughs) What is this? And he looked at me, he said, you haven't seen the show? (laughs) Oh, I'm busy. I, you know, I'm... (laughs) And so I went to production. I said, do you guys have some DVDs I could look at? And uh, I watched the first season and about half the second season. And then they asked for the DVDs back. And that's about as far as I ever got. There you go. Stop so, there. Stop, so you, stop you really, while you're on top. You really don't know who Rich and I are. You never got to us. Wait, oh, no. you're on the show? Yeah. By the way, yeah. our wives ask us the same question all the time. It's, it's, yeah, sure. Um, Even though I'm not married. <laughs> Isn't that weird? My wife asks you all the time. Rob, I, my memory's shot. Did we ever work together on the show? No, I don't think we did, which just seems crazy. Yeah, because I I know you like a brother, and yet yeah. I, I don't think we ever shared I, I don't think we did. How about you well, and Rich? And I think maybe your first episode was... Uh, I was in. You were uh, you were in my first episode. We didn't have any dialogue together, right? Um, you you come down the stairs with a big wooden spike to kill me, but I, we didn't actually yeah uh, talk. This is actually the first time I've been willing to talk with you at all. <laughs> this is as close to you looking me in the eyes I've ever gotten. His de- uh, his demands were included as long as somebody records it. I and I I directed Jim as well. So I okay l- later on in the last pre COVID episode we did fifteen eighteen. Jim was in that. And Jim is a true, next to Misha, Jared, and Jensen, you're the next most episodes. Well, it depends on who you ask. Uh-huh. Because I counted up my episodes and I came up with 70. And IMDb says 69 and says Mark Shepard has 70. Ooh. I think there's something missing on IMDb because okay. I went back at one point and counted up how many I had done. It's possible I miscounted, but... Uh, at best, I'm tied with Mark. Okay. At worst, I'm one behind him. Well, it's still, it's an admirable run. And, that is uh, an unbelievable run. And such a yeah. valuable character. You know, the other characters that were long-standing characters on the show, aside from Jared and Jensen, Angel, and Mark Shepard playing King of Hell, you're the only person. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're the only human, the, 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 thir- the longest standing human influence on the boys uh, and human on the show, aside from those guys. And that's, that's kind of a, a key element. And I think, aside from Jared and Jensen, the only actor who was in all 15 seasons. Oh, wow. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, very cool. That's a good fact. It factoid. made me nervous toward the end of the run because they would get to episode 18 or so of season 14, and I, and I wouldn't have been on it yet. And I'd be going, uh, guys, guys, I got a record to keep up here. <laughs> and then sure enough, they'd throw one my way. That's awesome. It's a lot harder to be on a show after you're dead, even this show. <laughs> I, I don't know. They seem to find a way. They found um, they found a way, but it was uh, that whole half of every season episode was. I liked that back season seven and before, and my accountant liked it. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I just have one last one last question about this about this episode. When you guys are all in the room together, it's you and the boys and and Nikki Acox, and they're doing the exorcism, and it just it's just an effect question. Do you remember how they did moved her chair around the room? Do you remember that? This sort of her chair kind of jerks around the room, poltergeist style. I think it was done practically with fishing line or something. Oh, wow. And Interesting. guys on either side pulling. He's pulling it, yeah. The truth is, I don't actually remember how it got done. I do remember 
I remember that moment in the in the scene. I also feel like when you're the actor in that scene and it's not your chair being jerked around, you might not be that t- you know sure. focused on how it's happening. Sure. Focused on anything. <laughs> well, then you also have the, the, that shot that we've probably all had to do where an effect is happening that you're not seeing because you're there in real life and you have to go, whoa. But it's like, you know, the black demon. You're going, whoa, I have no idea what I'm looking at. Whoa. Looking up at the lights above the set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I've always had the, you know, you as a director on that show and now as a viewer of the show, you, you get people to do those. Like, all right, now you're, the demon's going to come out of your body. And then the, the the lead actor or the guest actor is like, ah, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, longer, ah, I mean, it becomes w- way cooler after the fact, you know? I don't recall if I ever had to do that. I know I got possessed once when Bobby stabbed himself to keep from killing Dean. Oh, wow. But but I don't remember doing the, the whole smoke out of the mouth thing. But, you know, I don't remember breakfast, so. <laughs> well, it must, it must have been weird. So you're coming into this episode, you're like, this isn't normally the genre I'm in. And you're thrown right into it with drawing the, the marks on the ground and uh, salting the doors and make-believe smoke. Yeah, the, the, um, there was a lot of interesting stuff about it. I was still doing Deadwood when I did this first episode. Uh, okay. And so the very reason Bobby has a beard is because they wouldn't let me shave my Deadwood beard. Uh, oh. because they might need me again. And uh, and so I had a beard on my first Supernatural, and that just stuck for the rest of the show. Wow. But after I did Devil's Trap, after I did that, I thought I was done. And I did what I usually did after Deadwood would wrap for the season. I cut everything off and practically shaved my head. And it was only about two and a half months later that they called me back for the first episode of season two. So if you take a look at that, you see my hair and my beard are much shorter than they were Ah. at the end of season one, because I had no idea I was going to need them again. Yeah. Oh, we'll have to look for that. That's interesting. I love those kind of stories. Yeah. That's something you can tell your grandkids about. (laughs) Oh, they'll just be, tell us again about Jim Beaver's haircut. I can't wait. I will. I will tell them. Uh, Jim Beaver, you're a legend. I really appreciate you coming on our show and talking, and we're going to have you back. Longest lasting human on the show, Jim Beaver. I was all set to be impressive in the second half. Oh, man. (laughs) You're going to have, you're on the show so freaking much. You have plenty of time to come back and talk more. 79, maybe 80 episodes. Okay. 69, maybe 70. Just as long as I get one more with you guys than Mark Shepard gets. Deal. (laughs) You, You got it. The easiest deal we ever made. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Beaver. Thanks, Jim. Hey there, this is Jensen. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Uh, But we need to pull over for a second for some messages. And I got to take a leak. Hey, guess what? We're We're back. back. Did you know that Jim Beaver was a United States Marine? I did. I did. You reminded me of that. He talked, he talked about his uh, his service, it. yeah. But uh, like, what a, what a badass, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, veteran and uh, and a veteran actor. And uh, you know, he's he's been around. He's paid his dues. He's a vet and a vet. And I wonder if he's ever played a vet, like a man who works with animals. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Listen, uh, that was great. Uh, you know, I just love, and I hope our listeners appreciate it too. This is one of the reasons I love this kind of podcast is to hear the stories about like, okay, that was supposed to be Missouri Mosley, but they couldn't get that actress. So they decided to write this part and it became, you know, Bobby Singer. Became a core part of the show. Just yeah. kind of, a, and I know we keep saying happy accident, but happy accident, you know, certainly for Jim Beaver. Yeah. and. And just the story about uh, how he shaved after season one. And then so the beginning of season two, he's, he's got short hair and short, almost no beard. Yeah, that's why I showed the picture of me earlier with all the manscaping. That's right. Because right. I knew shaving was a theme. You're always showing your manscaping pictures and then looking for a reason why. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I reverse engineer. That's right. Once again, <laughs> you found it. All right, well, let's get into the mythology of this episode. Mythology! Mythology! All right, let's talk about the Key of Solomon. It is a book of magic supposedly attributed to King Solomon, who lived around 1,000 years before Christ. However, modern scholars say it likely dates to the 14th and 15th centuries. The manuscript contains many pentacles and necromantic designs to be used in spells, invocations, and incantations. Or invitations, depending on what kind of party you're throwing. Mm -hmm. You had me a necromantic. (laughs) You old necromantic, you. (laughs) Um, 
Many of the prayers in it combine magic and Judeo-Christian church teachings. The book is split into two sections. The first section is about spells and curses to contain demons. The book has been translated into several languages and has been in print for years. It can likely be purchased at your local bookstore or checked out at the library. I did not know that. <laughs> I think what our writers are trying to say is like, this is not some weird antiquated thing. Like this is actually a book that you can go get. You can go Solomon. get this book. <laughs> the Key of Solomon <laughs> by me, Johnny Two Times. You enjoy my new book, The King of Solomon. Very different than The King of Salmon, which is a fishing book <laughs> for an Alaskan outdoorsman. Uh, but it, anyway, so that's everything about The Key of Solomon you ever wanted to know. Fun facts. Fun facts. <laughs> Fun no secret, Bobby Singer is a reference to the executive producer, Bob Singer, and Jim appears as Secretary of Defense, Robert A. Singer in The Boys. What? So, yeah. His name is Robert A. Singer in The Boys as well? Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think Kripke did that as a nod. Oh my, you think? <laughs> Good catch, Rob. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, look, I'm no uh, private Oh eye, my but. God, that's hilarious. That's super funny. <laughs> Kripke. Uh, uh, um, but yeah, that's uh, that is funny, and but I, I loved Jim's story about that. How it might have been a happy accident. It might have been because they, they the prop people put Singer on the on you know. And now it's that way forever, forever and ever. Uh, originally, the episode was going to be about John and one of the boys looking for the other brother who had been kidnapped. But because of production constraints of Jeffrey Dean Morgan's schedule, he was also shooting Grey's Anatomy. Dad had to be the one kidnapped. In hindsight. Kripke says it made so much more sense for the brothers to be looking for John. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Uh, again, really very interesting and fascinating that Jeff may not have been there when they had that final confrontation. Very trippy. Set director George Newman said the set for Bobby's plays had five to 6,000 books in it. Wow. But there's an asterisk to this fact because George Newman, who's worked for Jerry Wanick his entire career, is a known and noted liar. <laughs> is that right? I don't know. <laughs> I know George. He's a good man. You do know George? Oh, yeah. I know George. Uh, is he related to Gary Newman? No, but he's, he's, he is related to George Wendt. Uh, is he? <laughs> <laughs> you know who uh, Gary Newman is, right? Here in our cars, we find yeah, a place uh, that uh, we You know who George Wendt is, don't you? Come on. Hey, Norm. Norm. In the, the truck wreck at the end of the episode, the truck is edited to hit the car four times. It hits it four times. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of times. That's four times the time. <laughs> That it hit it. <laughs> um, well, listen, guys, we, we, we're excited because we made it through a season one. and We uh, did it. High five, Rob. Ben, I got to tell you, I, uh, I really enjoyed every minute watching the show. I was on the edge of my seat, and, uh, and I love it. Can't wait for more seasons. Yeah, man. I, I hope the show gets picked up and there's a season two. Me too. And hey, I want to thank all of you for sticking with us this whole season. I, we really hope that you've liked what you've heard. We appreciate uh, everyone who's chimed in and told us as much, and uh, we appreciate you. Uh, please tell your friends. Let everyone know about it. Yeah, and for all of you who've given us some great, great criticism, we really appreciate it and promise that we'll ignore it. <laughs> and I'm uh, kidding. I'm kidding. Rob's taking notes. Remember, Rob keeps notes. Which that reminds me. Are there any notes I missed? I know you're, you're wondering. Oh, now here's our segment called Rob Leaves Through His Creepy Notes. Uh, let's see. Now, uh, Rob's dumb notes. Yes, Rob took them. Rob's dumb notes. Looking through them. Rob's notes. Here um, they you know, are I, it, right it, now. I uh, w one of the things I forgot to say earlier is I really liked the the firefighter guy. He seemed very Canadian. And that was Rob's dumb notes. That's the oh, end geez. of them. Rob's dumb. No, hey. I know what you're saying. It's funny. I did think it's funny, and it's one of those limitations of TV where. They're, the fire brigade, I think, it was two guys. Hey, you want to hear Rich and I uh, talk, uh, say even more silly things and post pictures of ourselves? Well, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. That's right. We're on Instagram and we're on Twitter. What are uh, those addresses, Robert? Uh, on Twitter, it's at Dick SP, the number eight JR, and at Rob Benedict. On Instagram, it's at Dick Spate Jr., spelled the same way. And, at and it's Row Benedict. Benedict. Uh, row, row, row your Benedict gently right. onto Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> gently to the old folks' home. We publish a lot of other cool stuff, too. Oh, and if you haven't heard, Newsflash, the podcast now has its own dedicated social handles on Twitter and Instagram. How about that? You can follow the show. And the address is the same on Twitter and on Instagram. What is that? It's at S-P-N, then and now. S-P-N, then and now. Yeah, so now you don't have to bear witness to all the other jibber-jabber that Story Mill puts out on social. Just follow, interact, and engage 
with at SPN then and now on Twitter. I'm so glad they've done Instagram. that because I'm so effing tired of bearing witness. I know. I don't want to bear witness anymore. And hey, if I if I had a nickel for all the jibber jabber. You know, I don't want to bear witness or witness any bears. <laughs> I don't want jibber or jabber. No. So thanks again, everybody. Thank you, Rich. Listen, we made Robbie. Great job, producer Steve, Trey Booty. It's been a heck of a run. I uh, got season one down. Only uh, 14 more to go. That's right. That's right. We're practically so, yeah. there. We're on our way. We're six and a half years for finishing this out. Can't wait to see you at the next one. I'll uh, see you at the next one, buddy. And everybody, right. we'll see you too. This episode stars Jensen Ackles as Dean Winchester and Jared Padalecki as Sam Winchester. Guest stars feature Jeffrey Dean Morgan as John Winchester, Nikki Acox as Meg Masters, and Jim Beaver as Bobby Singer. Devil's Trap was written by Eric Kripke and directed by Kim Manners. Editing by Anthony Pinker, music by Jay Gruska. Executive produced by Eric Kripke and Robert Singer. The original broadcast of the episode featured some amazing music that Rob and I did not hear because we watched it on Netflix. But the music we would have heard had we seen DVDs of the show or its original airing were Bad Moon Rising by Creedence Clearwater Revival, Fight the Good Fight by Triumph, and Turn to Stone by Joe Walsh. That would have been great. Wow. The episode originally aired on May 4th, 2006. This episode of Supernatural Then and Now was hosted and executive produced by Richard Spate Jr. and Rob Benedict. Produced by Stephen Hine. Written by Stephen Hine and Haida Holscher. And edited and associate produced by Trey Boudé. What's up, Boudé? Music provided by Tim Wynn. This episode was recorded with the help of Sonic Fuel Studios. And this podcast is from Story Mill Media. I don't you know sound anybody good. talking. No, I don't hear anybody talking. Test one, two. Check, hello, check. hello, hello. I got hello. nothing to do. Jim. Jim. You hear me? You hear me? Yeah. yeah, Ben. Can okay. you hear us? Yeah. I don't have headphones. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are you ready? Close enough for dinner theater. You've made a reference to this, Rob. He talks so fast. Yeah. Like everything. that we're, yeah. there, there was a running joke between him and Jim Michaels, who Rob also knows. I was like, we could have won World War yeah. II if totally. we just put those guys on either side of the walkie-talkie because th- no one could have ever interpreted what they were saying. We need to bomb them. Uh, <laughs> well, they're just like, <laughs> they almost, they skip secrets. some words. You know, we walk out street and uh, city going to make like, it's like, car it's like and micro- move. It's like a microphone shorting out. Yeah. It's John Wayne. <laughs> I'm right here, you big jerk. <laughs> and this book has been translated into several languages. And then what? Or maybe you have a friend who has it and you can borrow it from them. Why the hell do we list how they can get the book? <laughs> maybe on Amazon. You, or maybe there's an I, audio book. Oh, this is gold. Don't cut any of this, Steve. <laughs> it's all gold. Okay. Oh, wait, look great. at Jim's vaulted ceiling. All right. And Easy. we're ready to go. And Bobby and the beef. Bobby and the beef. One's got no tattoos. The other one. There we go. Now it's recording again. Story Bell Media.